Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics might appear in our preaching this week. My name is Reverend Chris Upton, I'm a Baptist minister, and for 23 years I preached at West Lane in Haworth, but now I work as the church funding officer for Christians Against Poverty. I'm the national lead to the Waterways Chaplaincy. I am also a senior accredited pastoral supervisor, and in my spare time I like running and riding my bike. But today I'm really excited to bring together some thoughts from across the pond from Reverend Simon Ruth Devoyle. Simon, please give us your bio. I've got it written down here, but I'd much prefer to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Well, I'm in Vermont, in the Green Mountains of Vermont, and I'm an inter-spiritual, interfaith musical minister. I have worked as a UCC bridge pastor for a while, and I used to live in the Abbey on Iona for a couple of years. What I do is I work online and I create um, sung settings of prayers and psalms and i lead creative worship for a variety of people including spiritual directors international and uh, abbey of the arts and i also uh, get asked to preach in my local churches which is what i'm going to be doing next sunday so i do a, a mixture of things but i am an online interfaith minister simon you're the first one that i have spoken to on this politics from the pulpit webcast so it's really good to have you here and we will be diving into our lectionary texts in just a little bit but before we do that i've got some headlines that the wonderful people at jpit have put together but before we recorded this simon and i were, were reflecting on how the news does change quickly so we urge you don't be too hasty to prepare this week's sermon keep your eye on the news and on the local news near you. But some headlines for today. A government reshuffle has taken place with Suella Braverman being sacked and David Cameron returning to the government as Foreign Secretary. Continuing conflict in Palestine and Israel continues after over 4,300 strikes on the Gaza Strip since the 7th of October. On Saturday, around 300,000 people attended a protest in London in support of Palestine against the violence and against our government's response. Along with that, there is an increase in anti-Semitic attacks, including shocks, shots being fired in Jewish schools in Montreal. If you can hear the wind down my chimney, it's Storm Debbie hitting parts of the UK today and tomorrow. Think of all those folk living uh, choosing to live outside in tents well who knows there's been a gathering of international government delegates at a meeting in nairobi kenya to work towards what could be the first global treaty tackling the plastic pollution crisis fighting continues in the sudan after seven months of war between the army and paramilitaries but some positive news in bangladesh they have eliminated visceral leishmaniasis a deadly disease caused by a parasite carried by sandflies. A new drug to prevent breast cancer in postmenopausal women has been licensed in England. The Democratic Republic of Congo are offering free health care to pregnant people. And Portugal produced more renewable energy than it needed for nearly 150 hours straight. So, some good things as well as some less great things. It is also Interfaith Week this week, 
Trans Awareness Week, which ends today with Transgender Day of Remembrance on the 20th of November. And Simon will no doubt tell us a bit more about that. It's also World Toilet Day, World Day of Remembrance for Road Traffic Victims on the 19th, World Children's Day on the 20th, and Prisoners Week in Scotland next week. So plenty of different things to consider as you're preparing your three hour long sermon for Sunday morning. But our lectionary text this morning, we're on proper 28. We're in Judges 4, 1 to 7, Psalm 123, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 11, and Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Simon, as you were reading these, which ones jumped out at you? What were your initial gut reflections and what are they now as we begin to do this podcast? I, my initial gut reaction was um, I didn't like the judges reading at all. It's not a part of the Bible I've spent a lot of time in before. I was quite surprised by it. So I was also intrigued about, okay, what is this story and what does it say about oppression and who is this woman? Um, I also was quite surprised by the, the gospel message. Yeah. And um, had to spend a lot of time sitting with what was Jesus talking about? Um, and I actually um, found the, the message version. So the end of this text where um, just want to double check. We're talking about the same thing. Matthew 25, yeah. 24 to 27. Yeah. Um, and uh, this master gives money to the servants and disappears and it's, wants to see what they've done with it. And at the end, the servant who's hidden it away and done nothing, in the message it says, um, the master calls this person first before them and this person says, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for er error. So I was afraid. I might disappoint you. So I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is safe and sound, down to the last cent. And the master was furious and said, this is a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do the least? And I've been thinking about this in the context of Palestine and Israel. And uh, so I live in the States where there's a lot of Jewish people, a lot more than there was in Scotland. And um, my wife is a teacher and a lot of her young Jewish students are, are, are not uh, wanting anybody who's not Jewish to offer any opinions about Israel or Palestine. And um, I, as somebody who loves healing, my heart goes out to that, but I've also got this incredible uh, injustice and flame for, especially for the number of children that are being killed in Palestine. And I found this passage uh, when I thought about it from the lens of um, being too cautious and not speaking out and not gently, like, without pointing my finger and making sweeping judgments about places that I don't live. How do I walk my talk when it comes to, um, as a minister and a person with a voice, talking about Palestine and Israel? That's where, that's where it went to me. And the other thing that was really alive for me was the psalm. But Chris, what do you think about that Bible passage? The Matthew 25, uh, 
I've been in the privilege of doing this for the last few weeks. And because it's the lectionary, we've done the previous parables uh, about the landlord and about the vineyard and about this and that. And they all seem to be of a piece. And we know that they're building towards the prophecy of the sheep and the goats. And that we will be divided. And yeah, it's a big allegory. It's a big thing. But I, I, I tend to be reading it with a Girardian perspective rather than the more traditional talent equals skills and abilities. You know, here, talent is a measure of money. It is not about our physical talents and what we may or may not contribute to the running of the church, where classically I've seen this and been in congregations where the minister's basically telling me to do more uh, and to use my skills and abilities and don't hide your light under a bushel. And, you know, that may be good psychology, but I, I get, I just don't see this in the text as such. Uh, and if I, the classic is that God is represented by the master and, and yet it's an absentee landlord who doesn't do any work himself, a God who lives off the labor of his slaves, uh, that, that wants people to ask for interest and, and, you know, break all that commandment as well, and then throws the poorest person out of his sight and just strikes me as the absolute opposite of God. So we've got to do a huge amount of theological gymnastics to pretend that this is God, you know, telling, you know, the rich, you're going to get richer, the poor, you're going to get poorer, and then go into the sheep and the goats, where actually the people that are blessed are the people that have stood with the poor rather than mm -hmm. suck it up and made rich people richer. Mm -hmm. So where's Christ in this passage for me? It's Christ is always the one that is broken and thrown out. And so Christ is that third character. So that's, that, that's where I go. That's where I instantly go. But I think that for me, there's something about the first two had a hopeful view their master and that hopeful view was rewarded and the third one had a sort of a misanthropic view of the master and that's what they get back so there's something about creating god in our own image or or you get what i'm confused simon which is you know why i i wrestle with this and three years every three years I will preach a different sermon. I'll have a different understanding of those texts. And I think my understanding of the world will have changed as well. So I think maybe we, it sounds like we've got two, at least two different understandings. I, so I have far. a third as well, which is more akin to what you were just talking about, which is it actually really reminded me of karma. Yeah. And yeah. The ways of the world yeah. around this is, um, how this world operates, you know, if you think about Adam and Eve being thrown into the world where there's um, problems with women birthing, you know, and we have to toil for our existence. We are in this situation. What do we do about it? So I, rather than looking at it with a Christian lens, I, I also looked at it with a kind of more neutral lens of what does this say about the world? And then I jumped into your observation about, okay, well, where is Christ in this? And how, how do I respond to this world? Do I just go along with it, invest in it? 
or or do I actively? And I know we, we will, I'm sure, mention the psalm and Thessalonians, but this idea of, well, your word karma, I guess it's Sanskrit. I, I forget where the, mm -hmm. where the word mm -hmm. comes from. Mm -hmm. But the, the opening two lines in Judges, the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord sold them into the hands of the king. And this sort of absolute, um, you, you do evil, you get beaten up. <laughs> you do good, you get blessing. That kind of version of karma. Um, and I, I do sense and see that without pushing it, the metaphor too far. We have moved from this understanding of judgment and justice mm -hmm. being accorded to us because of what we've got. Uh, and, and we live by grace and we don't get what we might have got. Um, and that somehow the person of Christ is integral in uh, that understanding and enabling us to see the world in, in a fresh and new non-binary light. Absolutely. I, I love the, the new kind of therapy ideas around patterns, right? And how there's a f the ancestral patterns live within us, that we're born with karma. Karma isn't just um, what, the, what you rack up for what you do and don't do. And, and I think it's very important that we move away from a, a concept of good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people because it's just not true. And I think mm. that was one of the things that Jesus said so explicitly. And what you were saying about how we live by grace, absolutely, but we also live in these patterns. How do we transcend those patterns and how do we um, live close to that grace, to that pouring out of grace? It's, it's a beautiful question. And I think that we have a, a foot in both worlds. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm sure we do. I, I think if we can create a logic that includes grace in the gospel, uh, we've missed the point. Uh, grace always sideswipes us. And we, I was preaching on Saturday and we sang that, I cannot tell why he whom angels worship said, I cannot know, but this I know. Um, and I want to hold both these things at the same time, that these texts in front of us uh, give us springboards into thoughts about the divine. But if we ever understand what is going on, we don't understand. Um, tell me about Psalm 123. Uh, I know mm. it grew on you over the last week or so. I think it's grown on me. Hmm. Well, I'll read it out if that's Simon. Yeah. Just so we've got the same Please do, because it's nice and short. Do you want to read it or do yeah, you want me to read it? To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens, as the eyes of servants look to the hands of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than its fill of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. 
I hear that in song, right? In the Abbey, we used to sing, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christ eleison, Christ eleison, Kyrie eleison. And in the singing of God have mercy, Christ have mercy, I learned something. I learned that God doesn't dish out mercy. God is mercy right the, this is the attribute and it kind of links with what we were just talking about with god doesn't dish out good and bad god is forgiveness god is mercy god is resurrection mm. and um i think that this text speaks about why it is christ is with the marginalized and the poor you know it talks about the slave looking to the hand of her mistress and when you deeply understand oppression because you live in it, you live in that uh, toxic uh, environment, you truly understand the gift of freedom. And um, I think that it's why I am so elevate marginalized voices because I think that they know in their body things that I just know in my mind. Mm. And I hear that in abundance in the psalm, and I love it. I'm I'm struck, I think, for the first time by that those first few words. To you, I lift up my eyes. And Psalm two one one two one. Where should you know? Where does my help come from? It doesn't come from the hills. And and this sort of image I've got in my head is of we are bowed down and we are looking at the ground. And and we lift our eyes and our head up and we suddenly see a new for the first time. Um, and yeah, we are looking out from ourselves and it is that physical visceral knowledge that isn't just an intellectual cold thing, but it, it, it makes us stand up uh, and see again. Yeah. Powerful mm -hmm. stuff. You reminded me of a, a Sufi body prayer that I was taught, where they start crunched down. You're using the, the Greek, the Kyrie eleison, and they'll rise up, and the, the voice goes up and it ascends to a higher pitch, Kyrie eleison. It's like this out-breath of, of vitality. And I loved what you said about opening your eyes as if for the first time. And... Um, I love it when we get to do that in church. I mean, for me, music and story does that really strongly. But there is something here about um, seeing it afresh. Sam, let's just pause there for the moment and tell me about how you preach. Because I guess that many of uh, the listeners and viewers, maybe a bit like me, where I sort of stand up and, and say some words uh, and then I sit down. Is, is that you as well? Or I'm getting the idea that you were a bit more physical. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> well, so I was trained in creative worship on the Abbey on Iona in 2006 to eight. And um, I'm a musician. So um, I very early on knit the two together. And a, a big part of how I preach is by leading prayers in the Jewish tradition, which I, I love the Jewish tradition, I have to say that. Um, they have cantors. And the cantors sing and embody the the teachings and the ideas and the prayers with and for the people. So um, 
here's an example, a wee one, and I have all I these fancy things. I was hoping you were going to say that. You got an example for those of you <laughs> on the podcast who's picked up his guitar. Not a rainbow guitar strap in sight. High Absolutely, bard. Um, so I might um, share. This is a, a song that was only written a few months ago by my friend Alexa Sunshine Rose. Around how do I hold the heartbreak of the news? How do I? I can't take in the suffering that I am seeing in the bombing that happened in Israel and the subsequent. Um, situation in Gaza. I, I, I can't bear it. These neonic these babies that are dying in the because there's no hospital there. It's too much to hold, really. And I get uh, into a panic and alert. I'm sure you can relate to everybody that's listening. Mm -hmm. We know viscerally this is so wrong. This is so wrong. And it's built on a history of, of decades of wrongness. And we feel so overwhelmed. But our job, when I live on the other side of the world and I have no real influence other than donating money to Maisons Sans Frontières, is to hold it in prayer as much as I can. And I'll use song to do that. And this is how I'll preach about social justice and compassion, is I'll jump in and sing prayers around it. Help me open my heart so I can hold all that I need to hold. I'll get people to sing with me. Help me open my heart so I can know all that I need to know. Help me open my heart so I can feel all that I need to feel. And what happens when you're not a musician? You can't just pick up a guitar. Well, there's a bunch of Tazy songs. Mm. Yeah. really help us in this like ubi caritas that uh, how do we uh join in this outpouring i i also use uh story a lot I'll, um last year for transgender day of remembrance i'm a transgender person um and my congregation asked me specifically to talk about non-binary they were like simon why are our grandchildren non-binary we don't understand what's happening here can you talk to us about that so i brought in um actually the mother of uh um, a young child who I support and she's the one the mum is the one that wrote that chant and she came and talked about her child and she talked about uh, Genesis in the mm. beginning God made day and night and then she was like but also twilight exists and there's a sea in the land but there's marshes and there's rivers and she mm. she talked really beautifully about um, the new that needs to develop how we're not there with language and how people are tripping up on language and concepts. But these uh, thresholds have always been there. And she it was a really interesting service. Um, so I, I bring in a lot of prayer, ritual, and story and song. I also bring in multimedia. I don't know that we'll have time to show it. But for that same service on Transgender Day of Remembrance, I showed a, a video, which I'll put, uh, make sure there's a link in the description, of mm. uh, a, tra a trans woman talking about um, every breath a color, a woman of color who is a trans woman takes, every breath she takes is a radical act. Um, and that's what we used for our call to prayer, because in this rally, 
Um, <laughs> the woman was shouting, do you agree with me? Shout back. Um, we have nothing to lose but our chains. Um, and it was, she's quite foul-mouthed, this woman. So it was the first time mm. I brought a bunch of swearing into the church. And we did it through um, projection through on the screen of the video. So I use a lot of multimedia because a lot of the topics that I talk about are not, um, there's not really resources. There's a lot of the songs I sing are not in hymnals because they've just been written like that one mm -hmm. that I just sang to mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. Or Plowshare by um, Spencer LeJoy is like the most amazing hymn, but it's brand new. You'll only find it on YouTube. So we, yeah. I mean, this feels like quite a good question. It may not go anywhere, but uh, you've just said sort of everything's new. Uh, but my question, Simon, is is how do you balance the eternal, the timeless, uh, the ever unchanging with what you've just said about creating new and responding to circumstances? Where's the balance between uh, ever changing and ever new? I feel like I live at that threshold, actually. I'm somebody okay. that I live rural and I spend a lot of time with the Psalms and the mystics. You know, I like I spend hours learning from Meister Eckhart and Julian of Norwich and all those wonderful um, ancestors of ours and saints. Um, and if I I'm spending a lot of time in silence and in prayer and in chant. What am I doing with that? Right. And yeah. I, if I have a voice, if I have this breath right now, if I am an ordained transgender minister, how many of us are there? I don't know how many of us more than there used to be, but um, I need to use my voice. I need to be an activist as well as a contemplative. And uh, it feels really difficult in my body sometimes to manage the both. But, you know, I, I think the way that God speaks is timeless, but in precise moments. Right. And that kind of um, hurried, frantic, especially my reaction when I look at, say, the war in Gaza, um, that's my nervous system and my fear and my my sense of dread around oh my god britain created this problem and you know like oh. and that's not the way that god speak god speaks in a in a compassion and a being present with with everybody that's suffering there mm. and um and for me to align with that and to drop into the timelessness in myself, like I, I often, every Wednesday, I lead prayers for the world online. And I don't know how many people join that, maybe 100 throughout the day, at least 50. And the worse the news is, the harder it is for me to click go live. Mm. And I, I need to go out and walk with my dogs. I need to pray. I need to say to my God, I don't understand. I need to rest in that timelessness and ask for light. Just like that white tab, I need to have your light in the black form of, I mean, what on earth do I know? in the mm. face of the entire world. Mm. And the timeless aspect of God, which is present now, it, I think is essential. So it feels uncomfortable to, to straddle that threshold, but I think that's what we do as ministers. Mm. I mean, you go from a deathbed moment, like I might be playing last rites for somebody, right? And then you go into some dining room at a retreat where you're full of people and everybody wants to talk about 
something that's got nothing to do mm. with a life well lived. You know, we get to be inside deep moments of time. And I think the pulpit is a way that we get to share that with others. Yeah, yeah. And I think I was going to, uh, I mean, you brought it back to the pulpit, but it strikes me as the incredible privilege of um, standing maybe in a pulpit, maybe in front or sitting alongside, but being gifted the time during the week to stop and to breathe and to think and pause and to ask God, what is it that you would have me say? What am I drawn to say? And then nervously and tentatively throw it out there. Um, it strikes me as, yeah, it's a fantastic privilege. We're going back into the text again one last time. Anything from Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5. I think Thessalonians may have been the first of the letters that Paul wrote, although my Greek exegesis is a bit shaky to say the least. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Um, what came up for me was what I was just talking about, about deep time. I don't understand this as a second coming or a rapture. I think that that um, thinking 2000 years later uh, breeds um, separation. So I don't have any time for that in my theology. But what it does uh, remind me of is Rumi and those teachings about do not go back to sleep and to live at depth. And um, I actually wrote in my notes, the deathbed moments, you know, when, when I get to be at a deathbed where love is ultimately all that matters and forgiveness often comes very, very naturally. And everything that Christ was teaching, you you understand it, it's alive in you to mm -hmm. live at depth and to be awake. And that's how mm -hmm. I understand that. Mm -hmm. I, 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 majored, I major usually on the very last line. Mm -hmm. Therefore, encourage one another, build up each other as indeed you are doing. I think that may be a cop out for me and we've been talking about you said war i'm not sure i really want to use that phrase uh because that sounds like there are two equal and opposite sides bashing it out yeah. but um yeah. the conflict or the uh, i'll just say what's happening in israel palestine in gaza at the moment and if i am there and i have lived in the third world or the developing world call it what we will I have been alongside people who have no other way of understanding a better tomorrow other than God will come and take me out of this. Mm -hmm. So I can see an understanding where the rapture or the second coming or the cessation of all time, you know, where God is finally in control. And it's God rather than Caesar who is Lord, and yeah. all of this will stop. I can see it and sense it, but yeah, in the in the nice postcode lottery of life where I'm I'm post penicillin in Blighty, uh, it is it is easy to poo yeah. poo all the understandings there, but the stay alert, and maybe it is back to the Matthew the, you know, this is a prophecy about what is happening rather than a nice gentle story 
and a time to stay awake and read the signs of the times and don't throw it to tomorrow or pretend that we can fall asleep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love what you're saying. I'm hearing two things in it. One is absolutely that Christian Christianity does not make sense to people who are not marginalized. I believe that very, very strongly. Yeah. But there's aspects of this tradition that the black church in America get that nobody else really gets. Yeah. Right? And um and how that God will like like that nothing like that this oppressive situation has no power over you. Yeah, that is a a freedom that's very, very important. But the second thing that you said that I really loved was around um about now, this is our life now. It's Christ now in us, mm -hmm. in, in our world. Mm -hmm. Pay attention. It is unfolding. Mm. Mm. And not just on the other side of the planet, in our sphere of influence, in our life, in our family even. Uh, and you just said pay attention. And uh, I was doing something on Saturday about prayer and this idea of attention and prayer being the same thing simone de Vey, that kind of deep reflection and also the mary oliver poem the summer's day my friends are bored of me quoting it about i don't know what a prayer is but i do know how to pay attention and maybe paying attention to the news uh we spoke earlier about is it bible in one hand newspaper in the other uh what did you say in response to that I said that was the mantra that I received when I lived on Iona, but I'm not so sure about it anymore because um, we have preconceived ideas about what the Bible and the newspaper are saying. And um, we've been fed bad theology and we've been fed biased news. So yes, it is the Bible and the and the newspaper, but there's also a deep wisdom. I'm, I'm a big one for listening to the original scripture, which of course is creation. Okay. You know, letting, it, letting it speak. Um, that there's a deep wisdom that we also need to bring a discernment in this. Yeah. I mean, earlier you were talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, earlier you were talking about um, the praying for wisdom to 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 preach the word the sacred word and that pause which is so essential and i think that that pause we need to bring prayer and mindfulness in to how we read the bible and how we digest the news and to be very wise with that mm -hmm. because we are so um inundated with images and and, and trauma that we can switch off um but that pause is essential. Uh, I, I'm going to just go off on one for a little bit, but um, I do remember the start of my preaching career being slightly concerned and confused that members in the congregation said that they wanted Sunday to be a space and a time where they could recharge their battery for the rest of the week. And, and I thought, oh, no, I don't like that. I, that just feels, it doesn't quite work for me. But after, maybe it's just my age and getting a bit older, I do sense the wisdom in 
seeing that as one of the things that might be going on when we're preaching, that we do give people the space and the time and a, uh, an event that, that can lead to that exhalation of, of rubbish and a gentle inhalation of, of good stuff. And now you're nodding again for the podcast. Is, is that how you see preaching in general? Or I do, uh, very much so. I think that when preaching is pointing a finger and um, trying to just echo, um, wake up, look at this bad news, do something about it. I don't, I don't think that's enough. I think that is one aspect of it. And so much of preaching seems to be instruction when I think storytelling and prayer and holding mm. silence and lament, you know, one of the, the powerful things that we have is the Psalms. And, and I, I don't see them being used well enough in church, especially there's like Psalm 88 around, you've put me in this pit or this, this call for um, mercy. And there's beautiful mm. modern settings of the Psalms. I use Christine Robinson's settings a lot. I use the message sometimes. But I think poetry and, um, and art are divinely inspired. They're part of our human gift. We all know this about music. I mean, how essential is music for worship? The word for music and worship get crossed over. Why is poetry, why is Mary Oliver, I, I jokingly call her Saint Mary Oliver, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and also that thing that you were talking about, prayer is witnessing, oh, sacred witness. I think that that comes out in story when we hear stories, whether it's a parable or a story from somebody from now, mm. we join mm. in, we hold it as holy, we recognize the divinity as part of what we as humans do is that we bear witness and we add truth and light and compassion to what we see. I am really afraid, Simon, that our podcast is going to come to an end. We could talk all day, but that wouldn't get the baby bathed, as my mum would have said. So we probably need to begin to wrap this up. One closing question I ask all my guests. Is the pulpit a place for questions or a place for answers? Both. Okay. And if I was leaning... I'd lean to questions to unpack to unpack what we think we know thank you very much i think you're in the majority uh most people have gone there but it is a foolish binary but it still works somehow to remind us that it may not just be about telling people stuff if you have enjoyed this episode of politics in the pulpit please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. Thank you so much, Simon, for coming and being our guest today. And thank you, you, whether you're listening online, walking the dog in an airport, thank you for listening or watching Politics in the Pulpit. We have an online space for further engagement and discussions about faith and politics on X at politics at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit. And we have a Facebook group, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues team at the website jpit.uk. That's just jpit.uk. 
Let's go into both our politics and in our pulpits with a blessing. Now, classically, I would say something from Iona or a Mary Oliver poem. Simon, I'm giving you a three-second warning. I'm going to ask you to sing us a blessing. Is that possible? Yes, absolutely. He's reaching for the guitar again. Deep peace of the running wave to you. Deep peace of the flowing air to you. Deep peace of the quiet earth to you. Deep peace of the shining stars to you. Deep peace of the sun of peace to you. And moon and stars pour their healing light on you. God bless you, Simon. Go well this week, wherever you are.